0: Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. I've made this statement many, many times when preaching, and I'm not making it tonight because I don't have content or because I feel I can fill up some space with it. I'm making it because it's one of the most important things that I have preached in my ministry. The statement is this, every problem in the world is a problem of relationship. Every single problem in the world is a problem of relationship. The crime we see in our country, the wars we see in the world, the friction you have in your family, the tensions you experience on the road, these are all relationship issues. The Ten Commandments are about relationship. Our relationship with each other, then our relationship with God. Isn't that true? And here's the thing. As the church, we are either part of the solution or part of the problem. And God wants us to be part of the solution. He doesn't want us to contribute to the problems in the world by having poor relationships. I was reading about the crime in America, the FBI Uniform Crime Report in the USA Today newspaper way back 23 years ago. They listed the following crimes and the rate that they take place. And it, it tells you how poor we are on relationships in our world. Theft in America at that time took one theft every 4.5 seconds, one burglary every 15 seconds, a motor vehicle theft every 27 seconds, an aggravated assault every 34 seconds, a robbery every 1.3 minutes. In fact, in South Africa, there's a robbery every one and a half minutes. Rape. In America, 23 years ago, there was a rape every 5.8 minutes. I looked up the 2020 statistic because I couldn't find them all, and I'd read this article. 2020, it says that there's a rape every 68 seconds in America. In South Africa, there's a rape every 12 minutes. I don't know if we're doing better or not because of the size of population, but it shows you we're in trouble. And then the one mentioned in the Ten Commandments is murder. There's a murder, every, there was a murder every 33.9 minutes. In South Africa, there's a murder every 17 minutes. We are having relationship challenges in our world. And we've got to make sure we understand the power of good relationships. Because if we understand the power of good relationships, we will put effort into building them and we will be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Can you say Amen. And I believe that the church is meant to be a body of people in relationship, not an audience that listens to someone speak. That's why we ought to connect with each other. And I think that there are two problems that occur when you come to church. Some people are removed and isolated, and it's almost like they arrive at church and they go, uh, they give off the vibe, leave me alone, I'm here for him. And others are clingy and are looking for someone to be codependent with. Those are two extremes. I know that when we have the one-minute connection time, some people, it's a nightmare. In fact, I came across this video uh, talking about when the worship leader asks you to connect with someone. Just watch this. I thought it was quite funny. Is that you? (laughs) <laughs> like you cut yourself off and it's your worst nightmare that you have to relate. But we are created for relationship because we're made in the image of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the three in one, the Trinity, all relating to each other. We are meant to relate to one another and be part of God's body and build healthy relationships. We need people. And when we don't need people, it's a sign that we're not in good health. I remember reading this story of a lady called Mammy Adams, She always used to go to the certain post office in her town, and she used to love going there because the staff were so friendly, and every month she would go and get her mail and buy stamps and so on. One Christmas, she's standing in the queue, and she's wanting to buy stamps, and because it's Christmas, the queue is exceptionally long, and someone turns around, is like really sympathetic, looks at her, notices she's a little bit older, and says, you don't have to stand in the queue, you know, there's a stamp machine outside. And she says, I know, I know, but the machine won't ask me about my arthritis. <laughs> we need people. I was reading about this man who was in solitary confinement for 44 years, unfairly uh, put in solitary confinement, a man by the name of uh, Albert Wood, Woodfox, and he's written a book about it, and he has suffered irreparable damage to his psyche, even though he's now free from being in isolation from relationships, because we're not designed for that. And he experiences claustrophobia, panic attacks. Even when he's in a big stadium, he finds these strange things happening to him because God has not designed us to be like that. We're meant to be in relationship with each other, and uh, he has called us to be in healthy relationships together. Do you know that when each of us plays our part in the church, God is, is revealed to the world? In fact, it says here in 1 John 4, and I'll make a couple of comments before we get to our key text, And then we'll unpack it. 1 John 4 and verse 11. Uh, John says, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No sexual connotation at all here. This is the agape love of God. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Basically what this is saying is no one's seen God, but God looks like Christians loving each other. And so if we play our part, we then reveal what God looks like or what Jesus looks like. I came across a wonderful collage. It's called King of Kings, and uh, it's made up of all different people in history, all the different rulers in history, and it makes up a picture of Jesus. And so now don't panic because some of them might look like demons. They aren't. So before you send me emails and take screenshots... It's just different people in history, but they make up the picture of God's world in the earth. We, when we are functioning in good relationships, represent Jesus to the world, and people are lonely, they're in poor relationships, and it's up to us to reveal God. I wrote a, read a book called Mike, by Mike Aquilina called Friendship and the Fathers, and I want to quote two passages from it. He says, sociologists at the University of Arizona and Duke University conducted a longitudinal study on social isolation from 1985 to 2005, 20 years. In 1985, they found that most Americans could name three people they considered very close friends and confidants. By 2005, however, one in four Americans reported having no close friends, no one in whom they could discuss their thoughts or struggles, The number of self-identified friendless has doubled in 20 years. We are not getting better at relationship, despite all your friends on social media or on Facebook and all the ticks and likes you get. When it comes face to face, we're struggling. In fact, one of the biggest problems, they say, is loneliness. Let me quote again. They say in 2018, the British government announced that it was going to treat loneliness as a public health crisis. Most of the country's general practitioners or, the, the, you know, the doctors saw at least one patient a day whose big problem was loneliness, which is linked to a range of damaging health impacts like heart disease, strokes, and Alzheimer's disease. You can actually get serious diseases from being lonely. It says the government actually appointed a minister of loneliness to coordinate the response to this crisis. Prime Minister Theresa May at the time said that she introduced the government's loneliness strategy. It's one of the greatest public health challenges of our time. Loneliness. In fact, she went on to cite, uh, Theresa May that is, went on to cite that there are people that they have heard of in their communities all over the UK that don't speak to a friend or a relative in an entire month. They have no contact with someone. And so they've decided now to include this whole concept of loneliness in the curriculum of primary and secondary schools. Loneliness. In the old days, it was just, come here, my bra. Come have a coffee with us. What are you doing? Nothing. Come hang out with us. Today, everyone is the isolated block. Hey, It's a scary thing. And so I want to speak to you today, as I've probably hinted already, on the power of good relationships. The Power of Good Relationships. And we're going to look at a text that many of you would know very well, but we're going to look at it from a fresh point of view. This text is very similar to 1 in 1 Kings, chapter 17, where Elijah goes to a widow and relates to her and spends time with her, and he provides for her through a miracle. This one is about Elisha, but we're going to look at it from a perspective of relationships. 2 Kings, chapter 4. And verse one, are you ready? The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband is dead and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. If you're making notes in Exodus chapter 21, you read there that when you don't pay your debts, they can take your children. And for six years, your children have to work for them. Or if the year of Jubilee comes sooner, then those children are released. But people used to work off their debts through human slavery. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she famously said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors. Are you with me tonight? Ask all your neighbors neighbors for empty jars don't ask for just a few then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons pour oil into the jars and as each is filled put it to one side now you notice to repeat in the bible it's emphasizing something she left him and shut the door behind her and her sons they brought the jars to her and she kept pouring when all the jars were full she said to her son bring me another one But he replied, there's not a jar left. (laughs) There wasn't an empty jar left in the town. Then the oil stopped flowing. Interesting thing. The oil stopped flowing when there was no empty jar. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go, sell the oil, pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on what is left. The Bible does not intimate it, but extra biblical writings record that this man who died here The husband of this woman was Obadiah. Not Obadiah who wrote the book of Obadiah, but Obadiah who served in King Ahab's court, who was part of the group of these prophets. And he was a believer. He was a man of God. And yet, sadly, he died. I don't know if you realize it, but you can revere the Lord. You can be part of the inner sanctum of a church's leadership, but you can still face hardship. It's part of life. Don't ask, why did it happen? Life is tough, and things happen to people. We've got to keep our eyes on God, even in the midst of tragedy. In fact, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 9, As fish are caught in a cruel net, or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly on them. And so despite this pessimistic truth that we read here, God provides solutions and a miracle through relationships. I don't know what you're facing tonight, you might be facing some kind of crisis, you might find yourself in a net, in a snare at unexpected times, but the key thing to do when you face that is to go to the right people. She went to Elisha, she went to her neighbors, and I reckon you ought to be in church, and you ought to make sure that you are in the house of God. So let's look at it under two main headings, and then I'll break it down under the second heading into five key things that I want to look at tonight. What are the keys that we can learn from the story? Two main keys. The first one is this, the miracle is in our house. The miracle of what God wants to do through us is in our house, not in other people's hands. Too many of us are pointing at what other people do and what, what other people lack and what other people don't give us, but God is saying, no, your miracle towards relationships is in your hands and it's in your house and he asks, "How can I help you?" But before he gives a full help, he says, you, you, "You've got a seed there that you can contribute to this relationship. Whatever you got." You remember the Lord said to Moses in Exodus when Moses cried out to God and facing the Red Sea, the Lord said to him, "Why are you crying out to me? What is in your hand?" And it was a simple stick. It seemed like nothing, but it was the key to unlocking the sea and paving the way for the Exodus. And so here, the the prophet is asking her, what have you got? He's not insensitive, but he wants to awaken her faith, and he wants her to contribute towards the solution. You see, sometimes when we look at our difficulties and our relationship difficulties, particularly, we feel we've got nothing. The situation almost overwhelms us. But we always have a seed that we can use to get a breakthrough in a relationship. Some people say, I've tried, I've tried. You know, they won't listen. Sometimes you know what it takes, just a constant smile. Smile at people, you have a breakthrough. And I want you to write this saying down, because I think it's an important saying. If what you have is not enough to meet your need, then what you have is your seed. Sometimes we don't have enough to meet our need, but what we have is a seed. It's a beginning. And uh, she said, I've got nothing at all except... A small jar, and that little jar she had was not not a jar from the pantry. In fact, it was the prophet's anointing bottle. The word jar there implies that it was an anointing bottle with a cork in it with oil that they used to anoint people for healing or poured on someone's head when you anointed them for service. So it wasn't actually even for food, but it was a seed. And I want to just say before we go to the next point here, it's very important if you are a married person here, especially a married man, That you provide for your family, don't wait until tragedy, and then start panicking and get bitter that no one's helping you. We've got friends where one of the family passed away and was a friend of ours many years ago, and the wife became extremely bitter. In fact, she's still bitter to this day that people didn't all rally around and support them and look after them. Actually, it was his job to provide insurance, and life insurance is quite cheap today. Don't drive a fancy car and eat in restaurants and then don't have life insurance. And then when everything goes wrong, ah, the church doesn't care. No, it's your responsibility. Hard times can come upon even committed people. And so it's a practical thing to do that. Maybe that's the word of the Lord to you tonight. Number two, the miracle is in our relationships. The miracle is in our relationships. The first half of the miracle was in her house, in her life. But the second half of the miracle came from her relationship with her neighbors. Now I want you to notice, Elisha says, go and ask all your neighbors for empty jars and don't ask for a few. How many of you know if you go and ask your neighbors for empty jars, you better have a good relationship with them, especially if you're asking for all of them. This is not asking for Tupperware. You know, if you ask for Tupperware, you're like, oh, okay, and you're kind of in your mind, okay, we'll probably not get it back. Because you forget. You can go to clicks and buy some more. But this is jars, this is pottery, this is valuable, this is expensive, this is household items. You better have a good relationship for someone to say, yo, take more, take more, how many more do you want? Okay, you can have them all. The relationship would depend on their generosity. And some of us, we want generosity, but we've got no relationship. And so it's important to build relationships. You see, the quality of her miracle was dependent on her oil and her faith. But the quantity of her miracle was dependent on her relationship with her neighbors. And your relationships are extremely important. And so I want to look at it here under five things. Number one, and I've kind of alluded to it already, there is power in relationships. Don't take people or relationships for granted. There's tremendous power in good relationships. Imagine if she didn't have those relationships with those people. Go and ask your neighbors for empty jars. No, I can't. They hate me. They hate my husband. They think he's a wacko. No, because she had good relationship, there was power. It released favor into her life. And uh, she even had a good relationship with Elisha. When she went to Elisha, he didn't say, what do you want, woman? You you and your husband have been a problem. No, he was receptive. And that relationship with Elisha and the relationship with the neighbors unlocked The door. And I want to say, don't just come to church and sit in the meeting and make notes and listen to the message and hope each week you're going to get a better message than the week before. Join church membership and become part of the body and have a sense of belonging. Then when you're in need, there are people around you. It's so funny. Over the years, we constantly experience this. In fact, we had it not too long ago again. Someone got injured. I think they broke their leg or something. And their comment was, "Um, I broke my leg three months ago and no one contacted me. And I'm like, well, you left the church two years ago. How did you expect us to get a word of knowledge and then come find you? No, you need to belong and you need to maintain good, healthy relationships. Then when you break your leg, you'll have everyone crowding around to help you and give you a lift. It's a two-way street. It starts in our house and then it comes from our relationships. That's how miracles happen in our lives. I love what it says in Ecclesiastes and I've used this text at so many weddings. It says two people are better off than one. For they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Isn't that true? And so many people are, tend to be in church life today. I don't know what it is. It's an aggressive society we live in. They are aloof or distant. In other words, they give you a vibe like, I'm a Christian, but don't make contact. Isn't that true? Others are openly hostile. When you look at them, you go, okay, forget it. (laughs) You were planning to greet them. But I wanna tell you what, you need to practice breaking through barriers because relationships are incredibly important and incredibly powerful. In our state, when we go for a walk, there's so many cars driving past and so many strangers and a lot of Jewish people. But what we've determined to do is we will wave and greet everybody. We will greet all the domestic workers, all the gardeners. We will greet them all. And even if they walk past like they do with their phone, like, like that, I don't want to greet you, you know. And I'm like, hello. And they're like, hello. Now when we go for a walk, it's quite a pain because it's, it's like the queen. We're constantly... <laughs> The other day I had a gardener. He came and he said, Pastor, life by design. And we both stopped. And there he was. Can it be you? It might be. Can I come to your house for coffee? See you later. (laughs) Rather be friendly. Obviously not everybody you bump into to come to your house for counseling or coffee. You you know, there's such power. People, they don't even know who you are, what you do. But if there's ever going to be an opportunity for the gospel, at least those people are Now I know why they're so friendly. Are you with me? You know, Saul, called Paul, was very poor in relationships before he became a Christian. Not only did he hate Christians. Think about how poor he was in relationships. He didn't only hate Christians, he killed them. A lot of you think you've got problems with certain people. That At least they don't kill you. <laughs> but the Bible says this. When Paul got saved, it was a real problem. Because people withdrew from him because he sent a message through his relationship attitude that it was a problem. They didn't trust him. In fact, if you read Acts 9, very interesting thing. In the beginning of Acts 9, it says this. And Saul, breathing threats, continued to arrest and persecute Christians. That's how it starts. Then you go through chapter 9 you read about his conversion. And he discovers the Lord on the road to Damascus. And then the chapter ends with people wanting to kill him. You see, what you sow is what you reap. And Paul could have been relegated to the sidelines of history, but it wasn't for a man called Barnabas who befriended him and built a relationship with him and encouraged him and told the church he's not such a bad guy and introduced him to people. You need to remember why Paul spent three years in Arabia in the desert. He didn't spend it in the, in the desert because he was seeking the Lord and he was all holy. He couldn't relate to people and so God had to work with him in isolation. It then took him six more years before he met the apostles. And when he did, in Galatians, meet the apostles, and he, he, he says this in a cocky manner. He says, I went up to Jerusalem to meet those so-called apostles, whatever they were. He wasn't good on relationships. But later, he's the one to tell us that we need to love one another, to write 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter on love. So we can all grow in our relationships. There's power in relationships. And God used him to influence the whole world through relationships i do believe we mustn't be so gifted and rich and self-sufficient that we don't know how to relate to people it's much more uh, than that don't be hostile don't be distant i think when you are distant and self-sufficient you put yourself at risk and you're in danger you know in the book of judges there was a group of people that lived in a place called laish and they were very well off in fact the bible describes them as lacking nothing whatsoever and being secure But the Danites noted that they had one significant weakness, and so they attacked them and got their wealth and invaded their town. Notice this in Judges 18. It says they, which is the Danites, attacked them with the sword and burnt down their city. There was no one to rescue them because they lived a long way from Sidon and had no relationship with anyone else. Don't measure your life by your material wealth. Measure it by your relational wealth. And relationships have incredible value. There's incredible power in them. Now, just for a moment, before we finish this point, it's true that the widow was able to go to her neighbors, isn't that true? And get all those jars and not too few. But the thing we don't realize is her husband, Obadiah, also had a good relationship with the neighbors. How many of you have met couples and you kind of like like the one? Hmm? You'd have them both for supper if it wasn't for the one. Ah, <laughs> how you praise God, a had Because the one gives off a vibe like, leave us alone. But this family, both of them were good on relationships. And as a result, a miracle of provision came into the wife's life, even though he died suddenly. Notice here what kind of person Obadiah was. 1 Kings 18, are you all with me? Now, the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, his palace administrator. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, 50 in each, and had supplied them with food and water. He was not only a spiritual man, but he was a relational man, and it stood his family in good stead when he was gone. There's power in our relationships. Am I making sense tonight? Now, number two will shock you. This is the second thing that we learn from this text. There's power in shutting some people out. Go into your house and shut the door, and then pour the oil out. And there's some people you need to shut the door on. And she obeyed Elisha, and she received her miracle, and you find this passage or this phrase mentioned quite frequently in the book of 2 uh, Kings. In fact, in chapter 4, when Elisha goes and prays for the boy of, of the woman of Shunem, who's the wealthy woman, the Bible says he goes in and he shuts the door and then he prays for the boy. Sometimes you have to shut out influences out of your life that could prevent you from getting a miracle. When we read this phrase in the Bible, it starts quite early in the book of Genesis. And you need to know how to apply this principle with real grace. Genesis 19, some angels come to Lot to visit him in Sodom, and uh, the men come into his house and the neighbors, notice it says here, they called out to Lot, we are the men who came to you tonight, bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind them and said, no my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Do you notice that he shut the door first, then address them? Some of you want to engage people, but you leave the door open before you know it. They've infected your life and influenced your life. Now, when it comes to certain relationships, keep the door tightly shut, but then conduct your relationship with him in a nice manner. Do you notice his tone? No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. He's pretty, pretty clear, but he's saying it nicely. You see, you don't want people in your life that are going to influence your life and prevent you from the perfect will of God or from the miraculous in your life. Think of it. Imagine if this widow didn't shut the door and Auntie Gertie came from next door and he's sitting there having a cup of tea and dragging on a Rothmans. So what are you doing, hey? No, man, you can't pour that into there. Didn't your mother teach you? It will prevent a miracle. They start bringing logic and worldly reasoning and worldly values. And there's some people that have to be shut out because they can prevent you from having healthy and good relationships. Because not everyone that comes into your world is meant to be your friend and meant to be close to you. Can you say Amen. I found it fascinating that the oldest woman in the world who I recently referred to in one of the messages, Maria Brañas Morera, she has lived through two world wars and uh, the Spanish Civil War, the 1918 flu pandemic and the COVID pandemic. And she's now 116. And here she gives advice. She says, you need order, you need tranquility, you need good connection with family and friends, you need contact with nature, emotional stability, no worries, no regrets, lots of positivity, and staying away from toxic people. Take it from this tunny. <laughs> Number three. Is this helping anyone tonight? Relationships are about adding value. Relationships are not one way. She borrowed vessels from her neighbors, but she also had something to contribute to her neighbors. She paid her debts, and you've got something to add to people Elisha added value to the widow, the neighbors added value to the widow, but the widow added value to them as well. And we all have something of value to give. If you don't believe that you have any value in relating to others, well, I'm not as rich as them, and look at the car they drive, and they live in that suburb, and here's what people talk? they live over there, and they think they are so, how do you know? You don't know. It's your smallness that makes you judge them. Every one of us has got something to give. But here's the thing. If you don't value yourself, don't be surprised if other people don't value you. What have you got in your house? Nothing, except a little oil. I'm a nobody. You want to know why Delilah didn't value Samson's calling? Because Samson didn't value his own calling. And people will treat you according to how you behave about yourself. And so we need to recognize maybe we're not a big deal. We don't have many talents and gifts. We're not super educated or super wealthy. But we've all got something to contribute. And listen, I said it earlier. You can smile. You might not have money to buy someone a coffee or anything. But you can go through a service like this afterwards. Hi, hi, how's it? How are you? How are you? I know some people think, is he mental or what? (laughs) But you've got something to give. And friendliness and a smile. Kind word. A verse of scripture you read. Could you leave me some money? No, I don't have. But man, I was reading this morning. You know, like Chris, he read the whole book of Malachi and you've got a verse. And you share that verse and it encourages them. We've got, we, relationships are not one way. What can you do for me? It's about adding value. Come to church and try and add value to each other. I, I read the fascinating story this week of a, a landfill, they call it in Paraguay. We would call it a dump here. But it's a poverty-stricken community of 2,500 families that live on this landfill. In fact, it's quite fascinating. Every single day, 1.5 million kilograms of rubbish is dumped there. You can You imagine the stink and the stench. And these people comb through all this rubbish to look for things to recycle, things that might have slipped in there that are value, have value, and they can sell them. And uh, a young man is a musician by the name of Fabio Chavez. He's a professional musician. He got to know about these people and saw the terrible poverty and decided he wanted to do something. So he started a little music school and he got such a response from people, he was overwhelmed. But he didn't have enough instruments. So he said to his friend who's a picker there, Nicholas Gomez, he said to him, won't you go looking through the dump and see if you can find anything valuable that we can use to make instruments. So they made a cello out of an old oil can and old cooking tools. They made a flute from old tin cans They made a drum set using x-rays as skins. A violin was made up of a beat aluminum salad bowl, and now this orchestra produces beautiful music. The music is so beautiful from these instruments that they've become famous. They've traveled to Brazil, they've traveled to Colombia, and they've traveled all over the USA, and they have learned how to add value from the little that they have in their hands. We've got something to give. Don't see relationship as what can you give me. See it as a two-way street. Number four, quickly, relationships don't work when people are full of themselves. How many of you know that the widow's need made her open to relationships? Her need made her go to her neighbors. If she had enough money, she would not need her neighbors. Isn't that true? And she also was told to ask for empty vessels. I mean, you can't pour oil into a vessel that's full. And sometimes people who have no need of others because they are so full of themselves, I don't need anybody, look at me, check out how good I'm doing, look at what we drive, look at where we live, look at the money we've got, you know, we, we will be very selective about people. You, you, you can never be filled or receive anything if you're full of yourself. But people have need, that's when others can contribute to their need. I'll be honest with you, I don't like need, it makes me vulnerable. But God uses it to keep us humble. And God always leaves need in order to foster relationships. Think of Jesus. He goes to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And he doesn't, he doesn't get to the well and say, hi, do you know who I am? Like, no, I don't know who you are. Watch this. stone lifts off the ground. You get it? No, he says this. He expresses his need. Can you give me something to drink? And the need fosters relationship. And his need, then through his need, he's able to meet her need. Her need for salvation. God leaves need to bring us together. Don't despise need, but don't become super needy. We need to be people who know how to build healthy relationships. And number five here, relationships must be interdependent, not co-dependent. What am I saying here? Well, Elisha gives her a final uh, instruction. He says, go sell the oil, pay your debts. In other words, don't be dependent on people. And then you and your sons can live on what is left. She was interdependent because she needed their jaws. But she was not codependent because she could be independent after the oil was sold. Are you with me? And too many relationships, we, we avoid them because people want to latch onto us. They, they discover that we're generous, then they want to latch onto us. No, you, you can latch onto me and I'll help you, but then you must get on your own feet. We have beggars at all these robots. I don't give to them, by the way. You say, Shame when you on you, Pastor Andre. No. They even make me feel guilty. They stand in front of my car and they do this. No, they, they, they are artists out there. And I feel nothing. You know why? Because they are there month after month after month. They are not looking for independence. They are looking to be codependent. There was a guy down here at Gallo Manor. When he first arrived, he looked very decent. And he was standing at the, at the robot one day and he was begging for money. I opened the window. I said to him, what are you doing here? Can't you get a job? He said, no, man, I lost my job, but I'm, I'm going to be looking, you know, a week or two, and I'm hoping. And he looked really nice, and, he, and I thought, this, this guy's got potential, intelligent, he'd communicate well. And so, you know, I'd go shopping, and I'd come back, I'd give him, you know, a toasted sandwich, or buy him a Coke, sometimes some donuts, you know. One day I gave him a hundred bucks, he said he needed a train for But, you know, after six months, he's still there. And this time, his eyes are like, he's goofed. And what he's using is he's using donations not to become independent, but to become codependent. And to make me feel I have to support him. And I don't. Now he's not there anymore. Are you with me? And in church, when relationships become codependent, they become unhealthy. Let me, let me explain this to you like this. John G. Rockefeller said this, and this is a powerful saying. He said, charity is injurious unless it helps the recipient to become independent of it. Do you remind you of that? Don't think you're doing such a lot of good for the Lord by giving people money if it's making them codependent. It can damage them unless it makes them independent. Here's the balance in Scripture as we begin to move to a close. Galatians 6 and verse 2. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Verse 5 says, for each one should carry their own load. Let me describe it to you like this. If I hurt my leg really badly, as many of you in this congregation have... I've seen you wearing these ugly boots. <laughs> I'm going to need a doctor. I'm going to need uh, help. And I'm going to need one of these boots to help set my foot or my ankle or my leg or whatever it is. There's so many of you doctors know what's going on. But even my daughter-in-law had one of these. And I felt sorry for her because when she came come to the house, she'd look so uncomfortable. And um, they give you one of these things and, th- and they do help. But what I realized is this boot on its own is not enough. You, you actually can't walk lecker with this. Your natural tendency is to find a brother or sister in the Lord and to say, can you help me? And they'll go, yeah, for sure. And there you go hobbling along. But if eight months later you're still doing this, something's wrong. You need to get yourself healed and you need to get this codependence gone Say thank you to your brother or sister who helped you. And then you need to get free so that you can go and walk and be available to help someone else. You don't want to spend your whole life with someone hanging on you. You know what? That'll drive you out to church. Oh, there they come. Oh, gosh, you should have chosen another service. No, you don't want that. You want to help people. They must be appreciative. And then you want to see them later helping someone else. And I want to encourage you to build relationships and not to become codependent. Benjamin Franklin gave us this warning. He said this, who is there that can be handsomely supported in affluence, ease, and pleasure by another that will choose rather to earn his bread by the sweat of his own brow? See, once you've been helped too much, you won't want to do it for yourself. And he's saying, no, we need relationships that are healthy, that are not codependent, interdependent. And then independent. And I want to encourage you to value relationships to nurture them and to protect them. As I close this evening, if you've been hurt in church, you need to let go of it and you need to forgive people. Don't say, Oh, but you know, you don't expect it in the church. Why? What if there are they frogs in church? They're human beings in church. <laughs> people will hurt you. And if you're coming to rivers and you haven't been hurt yet, just give us time. <laughs> Where there are people you will be hurt. But the last thing you must do is come and sit in church and let everyone know. I'm here. But you know, hey, you know what the issue is. You all know. And during the worship, you stand there, you might flick your hand up to here, lift your hands to heaven. No, get over yourself. Move past your hurts. Forgive others. So... There's power in good relationships. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.